0: Welcome to episode number seven of The Display Show. My name is Brian Berkeley, and I'm your host for interactive discussions with key display industry leaders and influencers. Today's guest is Bob O'Brien, who is co-founder and president of Display Supply Chain Consultants, or DSCC for short. Bob has decades of experience in the display and electronics industries. At DSCC, he has the lead role in analysis of display materials and in coverage of TV and other large screen display applications. Prior to DSCC, Bob worked for Corning for over a decade, working as Corning's Director of Market Intelligence and Strategy. In fact, that's when we first met. Bob also worked at Phillips and LG Phillips Displays. He has a BS in Physics from Cornell and an MBA from the University of Michigan. For those of us who've been around SID, Bob's face is quite familiar as he's been active in the industry for many years. Bob, welcome to the Display Show.
1: Thanks, Brian. Um, very pleased to be here. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, many of the display shows uh, that you've done already. I was uh, I was noting on your your last one where you did. Uh, I think his, his name was Regis McKenna, um, and watched that one, and it made me feel young because he's talking about things. <laughs> he's talking about things that were happened before I was born. So uh, uh, it takes quite a lot to do that. Uh, all I need to do to look, is look in the mirror to realize
0: how old I am so, <laughs> with, with my COVID, gray COVID beard now. Oh, we've been around for a little while. Um, where should we start? Maybe, uh, maybe we should start with DSCC. Um, I think many of our viewers will know that you and Ross Young founded DSCC, which by now is considered one of the display industry's leading market research firms. And uh, would you like to say a few words about your company? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I had met Ross actually
1: before my Corning days, uh, when I was at LG Phillips, um, and and recognized him as leading Display Search. And when I got to Corning, and and basically was leading the team doing their market intelligence work, I, I quickly came to realize that Display Search was the gold standard in display market research um, in in those days, and. Uh, and you know, I had a lot of respect for the work that 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 they did, and the essentially the organization that he put together. Um, so uh, after I left Corning, which is will be five years ago at the end of this month, um, I uh, uh, Ross and I met at the uh, SID Display Week Business Conference actually in two thousand sixteen, and uh, and he said, "You want to start a new company?" And I said, "Yeah, let's let's do that." <laughs> and uh, Uh, We've got Yoshitomura and Sam Matsuno as our senior partners in Japan, Um, and we're growing. We're up to 11 full-time people, uh, plus several more part-time folks. Um, We're representatives in U.S., Japan, Korea, China, and the U.K. Um, We're also looking to add more talent, so if if you have a passion for display market research, um, give, give give me a, sh- a shout give me a note uh, um, and we might want to hire you
0: well thanks um, it's amazing to see how DSCC is doing that's uh, as I mentioned quite credible uh, and uh, many leading firms are depending upon the research you guys are doing uh, now you have expertise on materials and large screen applications as, as uh, mentioned earlier so you know we should talk about those. Um, CES 2021 was held recently. Uh, it was held nice. virtu- Yeah, it was virtually this year, uh, and of course, uh, CES is the industry's um, biggest event for uh, TV and other large screen displays. Uh, what do you think were some of the most important developments shown at CES this year?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I have to say CES from a virtual standpoint was uh, was somewhat disappointing for me. I think, in particular, the the, the huge scale of CES is difficult to replicate in a virtual space. And, you know, when you can't see the displays in person, it's really hard to make an evaluation. But um, I think this will go down, aside from being the year of the pandemic and the virtual, um, in terms of the products, I think it will be the year of the mini LED. Uh, because I think in the TV space, that's been the biggest development um, of this year with... Samsung rolling out products, LG rolling out products, Hisense rolling out products, um, and TCL, which was basically the leader in uh, mini LED products, launching it a couple of years ago, is now in their third generation, which they call uh, OD Zero. So a lot of uh, interesting and exciting developments in mini LED, which is going to be uh, an, a, a very interesting competitor in the, in the premium
0: TV marketplace. So you couldn't see the displays, but nevertheless, it sounds like there were some very big announcements. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, actually, uh, I, let me make a comment on that. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I've been pretty high on mini-LED since CES a year ago um, when I saw the TCL product um, in, the, in their show. And they had, they had mini, their mini-LED um, side-by-side with an OLED. Um, and I think that was the first time I said, I was actually looking at my notes uh, from, uh, from the report from the show a year ago, and that was the first time I had seen a display that really, I would say, was better than OLED, uh, the TCL Mini LED. Now, it's a side-by-side demonstration that TCL organized, so I've also got to take that with a, with a grain of salt, but uh, it looked like a fair... A fair comparison. The OLED looked, OLED looked very good, but the that Mini LED, the both the color and the peak brightness really uh, really outperformed the OLED. And that's going to be that's going to be the advantage: is the color and the uh, and the, the the peak brightness of uh, of Mini LED LCDs um, going against the you know the black level of OLED.
0: I'm going to come back to Mini LED. Uh in just a moment, but I'll broaden out for a second. You, you've used this term, uh, advanced TV, to refer to the high end of the market. And that includes a lot of things like uh, mini LED backlights, but also 8K and quantum dots, uh, dual cell LCDs, uh, OLEDs, QD OLEDs. Um, these TVs are important because we've seen this repeated pattern of, of high-end features migrating into the mainstream uh, TVs. Uh, some amount of time later. Uh, Which of these technologies do you foresee as being the biggest market drivers? uh, And which do you think will have the most rapid adoption into mainstream TV?
1: Sure, very, very good question. And uh, yeah, we use the term advanced TV and actually we've put together a report on that topic, our advanced uh, uh, TV shipment report and uh we we cover all of those features so I, i'm going to sort of take your list one by one written, written it down um 8k is uh is something that is growing in adoption and is likely to continue um actually i was interested to note that tcl said that their 6 series is going all 8k that's going to bring lower price points which obviously you know the the the, the technologies that progress are the ones that get offered at lower and lower price points that's how things grow in the in the in the the electronics market generally in the tv market um but 8k is never going to be a hundred percent of the tv market because it's not really practical if you're going i would say below 65 inch um there have been 55 inch 8k tvs offered but i think that's a little bit overkill but from 65 and larger yeah you can really see that difference and uh and and that's going to grow into the millions and tens tens of millions. Um, quantum dots, quantum dot enhancement films, QDEF, um, is uh, you know is the product behind Samsung's, TCL's, uh, Vizio's, uh, uh, and and some other brands' uh, products, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be growing into the tens of millions, uh, also within the next the next few years. Um, mini LED, I've already talked about as, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about that uh, uh, growing. Um, dual cell, uh, you know, I was been very intrigued by the idea, but in a sense, dual cell has a sort of natural limitation because one cell of LCD really looks quite good. And so if one cell looks really, really good, um, that puts a limitation to, you know, you really only have only go to the very top of the market. Uh, to actually add, you know, to have to have dual cell. But, um, you know, there could be a place for it. But it's probably uh, among the ones that we've mentioned up up to now, it's most likely to be a niche. Um, OLED, white OLED uh, is definitely a product that has found its place in the premium segment of the market. Um, It has been uh, up to now mostly limited by capacity. Um, LG's made as many as they can um and they've sold well uh now they've added a lot of new capacity in uh in china and their uh ability to sell that capacity when you've got many leds competing um that's going to be an interesting thing to watch because they need to continue to make money uh so they can't just discount it to 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 fill their capacity they need to be able to make money on it and so uh yeah that's going to be interesting to watch but white oled is going to be an important part of the uh of the landscape in the the next few years in the premium TV space.
0: Well, I I wanna come to all of these. It's such an interesting conversation because we're talking about nothing less than the future of TV and uh, near-term future, actually, over the next uh, year to two years, three years. Um, I wanna go back to mini-LED backlights and probe that a little bit further. Um, You know, again, we see this pattern of something shows up at the high end, and that's where mini-LED is right now. So I wonder if you have a projection as to when mini LED backlights are going to be finding their way into the mainstream TV. And and to define that, mainstream TV is less than $1,000, maybe in the $500 range. Um,
1: uh, okay. Okay. I was going to, I was thinking about this. So what, what's mainstream, I guess, is a, is an important question. And I, right. would, when I was thinking of mainstream, like one of the first definitions you could imagine is more than a million TV sets, right? So that's... An interesting sort of milestone, and th- that'll be there this year. Um, definitely more than a million. You know, our, we understand Samsung's business plan is two million by themselves, um, and we're projecting four to five million uh, mini TV, mini LED TVs um, under a thousand dollars. I think you'll likely see that before the end of this year. Um, you'll just see the first the first offerings probably at nine ninety nine. But yeah, I expect to see mini LED TVs offered um, $999 before the end of 2021. Um, not you won't get an 85-inch Samsung mini LED for that for that <laughs> price. Uh, uh, but you'll start to see the first offerings uh, with with the technology probably by TCL um, uh, because they're on their third generation. They've they've got a lo- they've got a lot of learning uh, already. Um, uh, you know, another way to think about what is mainstream would be as a sort of percentage of all TVs. Um, even a million is only a fraction of, per, of a percent of all TVs, uh, uh, you know, sold worldwide. And if you'd say, you know, when do you get to 10% of all TVs, that'd be about 25 million. That'll probably be four or five years away.
0: Okay. But big growth,
1: um, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, absolutely yeah yeah because because it's um because it's a very attractive technology and i think it's got um it has got a lot of potential for uh bringing costs down towards the mainstream uh you you don't get to 25 million sets over $1000 uh you get to 25 million sets by in 4 or 5 years probably offering that down to $500
0: well one of the big announcements at CES Uh, came from LG Electronics. Uh, Now, they're one of the world's leading TV manufacturers, uh, for certain. And I uh, observed that they just introduced Quantum Dots uh, into their uh, TV lineup. Uh, I think they call it QNED. Yes. It seems like they were the last major manufacturer to embrace Quantum Dot technology. So, do you have any comments on this development?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, it's, it's... It's interesting to see uh, uh, LG coming in with uh, a quantum dot LCD product. Um, LG's had quite some success with white OLED. Um, White OLED has helped to elevate the LG brand into really the top tier in the premium space. I mean, LG had always been a, a significant volume player in the TV market, or at least always for the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, But it's really only been after they've introduced white OLED that they've stepped up to really the top tier to be able to compete with their crosstown rival Samsung um, in that over $1,000, over $2,000 TV space. Um, So they've got a little bit of a a challenging uh, balancing act to go as a brand where they want to maintain white OLED but they also have this uh, LCD product, which is again, I wasn't able to see it because it, we we didn't have an in person demo at uh, at CES. But everything I know about Mini LED is it's going to look quite good, and maybe in many cases better than the white OLED product. Uh, so uh, that's going to be an interesting balancing act for the brand, uh, LG Electronics, uh, managing that in the TV space.
0: Well, let's let's get right to it. This is like. You know, we're gonna get into this. What is their decision? What does LG's decision on quantum dots mean for OLED TV and, and is it going to continue in its role at the high end of the market?
1: Well, LG's gonna keep positioning it there. Um, and you know, they're going to have their OLED TV sets at a higher price point than the uh, than what they're calling QNED. Um and, um, you know, whether, whether the, the OLED continues to sell well, um, once these two products are, are out there competing in a marketplace, that's, um, it's not, not at all certain to me that, that, that OLED's going to continue to sell well, um, you know, with, with the mini LED products that, that are in the market, because there's only so many TVs that you can sell at $1,500, $2,000. Um, you know, the global TV market is $250 million, but the market for over $1,000 is only about $10 million. And that number, you're not going to expand that number. It's probably going to be $10 million next year and the year after and the year after that. So it's really fighting for that. Mini is going to get a, a, a significant piece of it, and it might be taking some of what OLED's got.
0: Well, there are improvements that are happening in the OLED space. and uh, LG just announced this, I think they call it EVO OLED TV stack, which uh, they may be incorporating some new materials in their white OLED TV sets uh, even this year. So it seems like they're going to be mixing in a little more of the red and green phosphorescent emitter uh, material, along with other improvements for higher luminance uh, and or maybe for reduced image retention. Can you tell us about this news and what it means for OLED TV? And um, then a follow-up question is whether this development is something that is revolutionary or do you feel like it's evolutionary? Sure, sure. Yeah, very interesting development
1: for the uh, OLED Evo, they call it, Uh, LG calls it. OLED Evo is their new panel uh, with apparently it's got a new, uh, an additional emitting layer um, the the LG in their white OLED ha- white OLED stack has um, three distinctly different emitting layers, and the the the, the two on the outside are uh, are both blue. They need two layers of blue to get enough blue, um, but uh, the 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 middle layer has been uh, a, a dual arrangement of uh, a red emitter um, and a yellow green up to now um they'll be adding to that a third I- emitting layer in this in this middle uh that we understand is a an additional green emitter so by getting more green light they're getting some more brightness they're getting some more brightness efficiency um that has has been um the relative weak point of the white oled technology uh getting brightness and especially peak brightness um so uh so that's going to help to our understanding, they're only offering that at the very top of their product line right now, um, but that's the sort of development and technology that I would expect they would propagate throughout their product line in the next uh, in the next few years, if not uh, if not sooner. Um, to your question about evolutionary versus revolutionary, in my opinion, I'd call it evolutionary. Um, White OLEDs itself, the the display technology is I would call revolutionary, and certainly has had a significant impact. Um, this is part of making white OLED better, um, which is a sort of natural part of a technology that that you know really goes uh, is is making it towards the mainstream. So, um, what we've noticed in the last few years, um, I would say in the period twenty eighteen to twenty twenty. LG was mostly focused on, LG display, I'm sorry, was mostly focused on expanding capacity, building a new fab in China, getting that running uh, so that they could get more capacity for making OLED. This is the first major development in several years where they've expanded the performance. And then what they're also doing in their product line is expanding the the scope of their product line. More bigger sizes, like 83-inch, some smaller sizes like 48 inch and we understand they may be going into the 30s with some products that would be Somewhere between TV and monitor products
0: Boy it, it raises so many questions and and uh, one of them i'm going to go geeky on you for a minute uh, It's uh, Hearing that they're going to add a third uh, Emitting later layer to their tandem stack uh, makes me wonder Gee, isn't that going to increase the voltage and will they lose some amount of power efficiency as a result? But we won't speculate on that here. Uh, it just, since I formerly designed OLED TV panels and, and was involved in OLED stack design, um, mm-hmm. something that I wonder about. Um, but you had also mentioned China. Uh, and uh, I'm wondering if you think that China is going to become a major player in OLED TV panel fabrication.
1: Yeah. Good question. I, I think it's only a matter of time. Um, up to now it's not, uh, up to now, uh, of course, LGD's plant in Guangzhou is a significant source. Um, but the two big players, and when you talk about China, you really talk about two big players, BOE and China star. Um, and then a bunch of, pardon for the panels. Yeah. Yeah. For the panels. Um, and I, Presume that that's your question is, you know, they're going to, is China going to be a major source for panel fabrication? So you have those two big players and, and some smaller ones. Um, and we do expect that both of them will eventually um, get into OLED TV panel production. Um, we have on our uh, uh, capacity database and capacity roadmap forecast, uh, uh, China star got a, a T8 plant in Guangzhou, uh, that we expect will uh, be making OLED TV panels in the 2024 to 2025 uh, um, arrangement. China Star has been pretty active in making demonstrations and doing some interesting things with inkjet printing technology, um, and they've got a uh, joint development agreement with, uh, with J-OLED, who has the only sort of uh, uh, mass production center for, uh, for inkjet-printed OLED. Um, and then Boe um on their roadmap is a b16 in Fuxiao, which which um would be a so both the China star and the BOE would be gen 8.5 uh, uh gen 8.5 plans um and the 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 Boe uh, you know we've heard over the last several years uh, varying accounts of whether they would be adopting um a white OLED essentially copying LG displays or whether they would go inkjet printed or something else. And uh, I think our latest uh assessment is they're likely to 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 um, to go the same route that uh, that LGD did with a white OLED, whether it's through licensing or some other arrangement. Um but again, that's that's not imminent. Um, it's out on our roadmaps in 2024, 2025. And I have to confess, as we Um, You know, now DSCC is almost five years old. um, And, you know, four years ago, if you looked at our roadmaps, we would have said that BOE's uh, OLED fab would start about now, uh, start in 2021. Um, And, you know, each year goes by and it still seems to be three or four years away. So um, that's where that's where we think it will happen right now. Um, eventually, these two Chinese companies are just too big uh, uh, to, uh, to to miss in that. So, to answer your question, yes, eventually the Chinese will be major factors in OLED TV fabrication.
0: The the next thing I'd like to talk about, speaking of OLED TVs, is to talk about uh, QD display. Uh, some people are calling this uh, QD OLED, um, and For our viewers to explain, what what is this? Um, It's really uh, a blue layer of OLED is uh, deposited everywhere. And then individual subpixels are formed either by using that blue for the blue subpixels or the red and green are uh, made by printing uh, quantum dots, uh, red quantum dots, green quantum dots in the appropriate place. Uh, So it's kind of a hybrid, it's an OLED with QD. uh, And and DSCC was one of the first, organizations to talk about this area. So yeah. which consumer brands do you expect are going to be in, introducing QD display? Uh, when are they going to hit the market and, and where will they initially price?
1: Right, okay, good question. Yeah,
0: QD QD
1: display, or I'm going to refer to it as QD OLED because that's the way I think about it. It's a, it's a quantum dot technology with an OLED technology. And so uh, um, I like to call it cutie oled and so for I'll, I'll keep, keep doing I, I wish that.
0: everybody would call it cutie oled because yeah, then you
1: know you what know it. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've described how the technology works, um, and you know when 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 it came out, uh, we became very excited about it because it, it in, in principle it's a very exciting technology that that on paper it could offer better performance than white OLED, better performance than than other technologies, um, but it has many things that make it very difficult to make. Um, So just making an OLED TV backplane is a a major challenge that took LG several years to to really master in their technology, and uh, Samsung's got to replicate that. But then also the quantum dot color converter, which, uh, as you pointed out, would be quantum dot uh, inkjet printed. No one has ever done that before at scale and at size. Um, and so that will be a major manufacturing challenge. Um, in all of, uh, you know, all of the times that I've been to conferences and, uh, and, and shows and, and so on, I have not seen one, um, which is pretty unusual for a display technology. Now, I certainly attribute the last 12 months of that to COVID. Um, I would have expected to see a, a, a QDO-led product at Display Week. I would have certainly expected to see one at CES, but uh, uh, obviously those have, have both been uh, virtual. Um, when it comes out, um, because of how challenging it is to make and because uh, Samsung will essentially be sort of limited by capacity, I expect it to be higher priced even than LG, LG's and Sony's and other brands' uh, white OLED TVs. Um we had understood, um, you know, the natural brand that you would expect to see this product would be Samsung, but we understand that the initial uh, initial products are not likely to be sold
0: as a Samsung branded product. Well, it's and it's one interesting one. because you know yeah. the Samsung Display is the one who's going to be making this, to my understanding. They're the ones right. who are probably first in line. Um, but you don't think Samsung Electronics that's developer. right
1: you know i mean the are two two different divisions within the same company and and something that's not so unusual um is that the divisions don't always see eye to eye um in terms of what's important and what's uh, uh what's what's a priority um certainly samsung display um you know they, they have this new technology they want to bring it to market and they want to bring it to market successfully and Samsung is an is the number one TV brand so that's the that's the natural avenue Samsung as a TV brand has spent a good portion of the last five years telling consumers not to buy OLED so <laughs> uh, so that's maybe one reason why we see it labeled as QD display and not QD OLED. Um, but uh, uh, Samsung displays actually, you know, after struggling a little bit against OLED in the, let's say, 2016 to 2018 time period, um, has really found its footing back with LCD technology and done quite well with their QDEF, or you know, or they call them QLED products, um, and really emphasizing bigger sizes with LCD. So, um, you know, our understanding is that, that samsung visual display or the tv maker is not actually going to uh to adopt QD oled immediately um it's got to fit into the product line uh, a little bit later and so samsung display the display maker the panel maker um is uh sampling this technology to some other brands tcl panasonic sony um TCL is an interesting prospect because, you know, they're, in, they're sort of an up-and-coming brand. They're certainly not from a brand equity perspective in the top tier. From a volume perspective, they're number two in the, in the TV market. But at the top tier, if you want to sell $2,000 TVs, you've got to have a brand reputation that, that really supports that in order to develop that brand reputation, you've got to demonstrate leadership in technology. TCL has started to do that. After all, they were the leader in mini LEDs, and they're doing a lot of the right things to really step up to that top tier. But I would say they're not quite there yet, but they might use QD OLED as a way, another stepping stone in their path to get to that top tier. So um, that's one I'm going to be watching, uh, uh, watching carefully. But you could also see it, I think, from, from a couple of the Japanese brands like Sony and Panasonic.
0: Okay, it's, it's interesting. Um, the, the next area that I'd like to explore with you uh, is going to be that of micro LEDs. Um, before we dive into that, I probably ought to explain uh, to our viewers the difference between mini LED and micro LED because I found that there's a lot of confusion about this. When we talk about mini LEDs, which we were talking about before, it's really referring to a backlight behind an LCD. And the difference between conventional backlights uh, that are two-dimensional local dimming versus mini LED backlights is that you can get a lot more zones, uh, many times more zones with the mini LED backlights, uh, which means less haloing and better control uh, over the Uh, Dimming and also a lot higher contrast as you had pointed out earlier micro LEDs are totally different This is an emissive display technology where you actually have tiny LEDs that are uh, forming the the pixel structure and uh, There were micro LED developments also at CES this year and I Wonder if you think micro LEDs are going to become significant for TV anytime soon Or are they likely just to remain at the very high end of the the market for the foreseeable future? And I also want to get your take on the biggest technical challenges for micro LEDs and uh, when you might predict the first uh, micro LED applications or products will appear in the market. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you want to speculate on which company might be the first with those. It's a lot of questions (laughs) all at once. That's a whole lot of questions,
1: uh, Brian about micro led, but, uh, I think there's a lot to talk about with that new technology. Um, micro, some of the micro LEDs that I've seen, uh, over the last few years, uh, in shows like the CES before this year, uh, but from Sony and from Samsung, um, those micro LEDs that I've seen are really some of the best displays, uh, I have ever seen for uh for large screen display quality um better than OLED, better than you know Samsung's QLED, better than uh, you know and anything out there these micro LED products really perform for contrast color uh, all, all of these things. But but uh their their the price range essentially puts it out of uh far out of reach of most consumers uh you know you can have one of these beautiful uh tvs they're actually available Uh, samsung is selling some products in korea uh but uh, the cost is something like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars um so that's going to limit to a very very small portion of the population willing to spend uh that and uh you know essentially although the price is going to come down um it's not going to be anywhere close to the mainstream uh in really in this decade i would say um i mean if you just uh you know do a sort of quick calculation if you can reduce the price by 20% a year for 10 years um that gets you roughly a 10x uh, improvement so by the end of the decade, or maybe early in the 2030s, I would expect micro-LED products under $10,000. Um, and in order to get to under 1,000, uh, which was a sort of definition of mainstream, um, you might be talking closer to 20 years uh, uh, to get to that. Um, there is a lot of work because the display this display quality is just so good, so impressive. Um, there is a lot of work uh, going on how do you improve it? How do you scale up? How do you improve the, 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 the cost performance? Um, part of that is using smaller LEDs, so you're uh, consuming less of the, uh, of the LED wafer. Um, and how do you do that without uh, losing efficiency? Um, going to larger wafers, um, from 4- and 6-inch wafers to 8- or even up to maybe 12-inch wafers, Um, A lot of work on improving mass transfer. That's one of the key uh, technology hurdles for micro LED is mass transfer from an epi-wafer to a display backplane. Um, And then doing things like trying to get higher uh, yield rates on the technologies that are out there. Um, In the meantime, there is a huge business in LED. Uh, You know, so people talk about micro LED as if it's a brand new thing. And The brand new thing is the micro part of it as you're getting to smaller but leds are all around us um in the display industry they're all around us in uh stadium displays and Times square and las vegas and uh and uh and you know in 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 shanghai and 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 all all sorts of major uh, uh square cities and those are beautiful displays and that's a significant business that's that's billions of dollars but that should also give uh give pause to anyone who thinks that micro led will truly be a a revolution because LEDs have, have been, um, you know, have been running and a a, a, a significant business for, uh, for many years and LEDs have improved and they've gotten more ubiquitous and they will continue to do that. And in some ways you could say micro LED might be an extension of that existing LED business, which is already um, a significant business.
0: Okay, well, that's definitely an area to watch, and we will be yeah. at SID and uh, CES. Uh, yeah. So, really appreciate your perspectives on that. I, I, I want to zoom out for a moment um, and just ask your opinion on what you think are the most important consumer buying criteria for TVs. You know, is it is it all about price, or do features actually matter? Uh, what do you right. think?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, when I think about it, I, I would say it maybe depends on on, on who you're buying for. Uh, you know, people sometimes say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm buying a TV from my mother or my grandma or, or somebody like that. Um, you know, for someone who is, you know, not an aficionado or not that critical about uh, their TV performance, then it is all about price. You know, really um, all TVs, that are sold today, just about all TVs are really, really good and substantially better than what they're replacing. You know, if your grandma has a TV and it needs to upgrade, um, she's probably watching either an early generation um, LCD TV or maybe maybe a fifteen or fifteen-year-old plasma, or maybe even switching from a CRT. And any of the TVs on the market today will be substantially better performance than what it's replacing. Um, but if you really care about picture quality, uh, then features do matter. Um, color is important and that's why quantum dots are an important technology because they're improving the color, uh, on your TV picture. Um, black level and contrast is important, which is why OLED has done well and why mini LED is going to do well. Um, peak brightness is important and, uh, the, the the development or the growth of high dynamic range in terms of the uh the offering from a content perspective more more products uh utilizing that technology um peak brightness becomes more important for the picture so all of those are important characteristics for people who really care about the uh the picture quality and i would say the one one more thing and i don't deal uh in a lot of detail about this but video processing is very important. Uh, that's how you get you remove a lot of artifacts um, uh, from the picture picture quality. And uh, you know, they're going with the big brands, the known brands, um, will get you a video processing technology that will uh, that will do you justice.
0: Okay. Um, well, not just for TVs, but if we consider all displays, what do you think, and what does DSCC think? are the most important trends?
1: Sure. Um, you know, outside the TV space, really a lot of the uh, technology improvement in displays is, is dedicated toward the smartphone market. Um, you got a lot of things going on in smartphones that is working on improving uh, display quality and display functionality. Um, so foldable displays, uh, Samsung has introduced the first foldable and, and there's been others, uh, uh, Huawei, Motorola, some other brands, and we expect that to be an important and growing category, uh, going forward. Um, it displays adding functions like, uh, like on sale touch, um, under panel camera, um, you know having uh, shapes or holes in your, uh, in your display to be able to improve the functionality in, uh, in a smartphone setting is an important part of it. Um, if I think about other applications um, in notebooks and, and desktop monitors, I think a lot of the innovations going on in the gaming segment, where you have um, some of the TV technologies like quantum dots, like high dynamic range, are extended in the gaming space uh, to the uh, to, to notebooks and, uh, and monitors. Um, and then another uh, area where you're seeing a lot of innovation in displays is the automotive segment. Um, you know, having in your automotive uh, uh, center console displays and your dashboard displays uh, shapes, so not just a rectangle, but uh, uh, having shape displays um, the use of touch and haptic response for automotive, and um, automotive really is the most challenging environment, both from a temperature range standpoint, um, the the light illumination standpoint. Um, the you know the range of performance that your display has to go through in uh, in in automotive is the most extreme on any application. So. A lot of innovation going into automotive displays.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a tough environment. Vibration, everything else. Um, sure. You know, it's interesting uh, to hear you speak about all these features. Uh, one of the things that I do on the side uh, is to serve on the SID program committee. So we get to see all of the technical papers coming in in advance, uh, uh, about five to six months in advance of the actual show. And many of the technologies that you're talking about, such as camera under the screen and on cell touch and more developments, uh, there are going to be some interesting uh, technical papers on those uh, presented. Um, so you know, to our viewers, I'll just say watch this, uh, this space. Um, I've, I've got to ask you about glass. Uh, it, it is a really interesting topic. It seems like LCD in one form or another will continue to be the highest volume technology for the foreseeable future. Uh, but many companies have exited the LCD panel fabrication business. Uh, do you think that all LCD panels will be coming from China in the near future? Uh, no, but it's getting
1: close. Um, honestly, with uh, with uh, the, the two big Korean players uh, both saying that they're going to get out of the business of making LCD TVs, um, they said that a year ago, and they uh, about... 2 or 3 months ago they've sort of pulled back from that and they're going to keep their lines running uh because LCD TV panel prices have increased um so that's now a nicely profitable business uh if you could while you know while it's running but um um they still will long term uh get out of that business uh and so that will be a, a huge amount of LCD capacity that 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 goes away in Korea um, you still have two big uh, players and some a few smaller players in Taiwan um, who have uh, continued to make LCDs and and will continue. Um, and those are uh, some uh, uh, pretty successful companies. I'm referring specifically, AUO and Um You have uh, Sharp in Japan uh, that makes LCDs, uh, and uh, ex- I expect them to uh, to continue. Uh, but really in the last five years or so, all of the new investment in LCD has been in China. Um, and we see China taking a bigger and bigger part of the LCD space uh, you know, going forward. I, see, I think they're going to be more than two-thirds of the capacity in the market um, within the next uh, three, three years.
0: It, it is really amazing, tens of billions of dollars of uh, fab capital equipment uh, going into various provinces uh, yeah. in China. Um, well, I wonder about surprise developments. I'm wondering if you or Ross Young project any wild cards or uh, you know things out of the blue coming over the next few years. Yeah,
1: uh, interesting question because uh, If we would project it, it wouldn't be a surprise, would it? (laughs) um, um, You know, I I think one of the things that we need to account for and need to consider and need to pay attention to, um, you know, is is not something within our industry, but the political developments in the U.S.-China trade war. Um, Already we've seen in the last... Two years uh, that has impacted the display industry. Um, so you're seeing tariffs on TVs that come from China, uh, imported into the U.S., and so that has shifted a lot of the TV production to Mexico or Vietnam. Um, you've seen threats of tariffs on other products, but that they haven't haven't been implemented. Um, you've seen the U.S. Uh, sanctions on Huawei. Which has absolutely crippled Huawei's smartphone business, um, and you've seen a growing concern from many companies to um, essentially divest their supply chains from focusing entirely on China to having alternatives. And that might be Vietnam, it might be it might be India, it might be Eastern Europe or Mexico, depending on the product. Um, you know, now, uh, as we record this two days from now, we'll see a new administration in uh, in the United States and a new president. And um, President Biden, one of the things that he will have to do is to decide how he manages this, uh, this trade war. Um, the analysis that I've seen uh, indicates that his policies are not likely to be substantially different than the Trump administration regarding this uh, this um, anti-China sentiment tends to be even a kind of bipartisan issue, um, uh, an issue of bipartisan agreement in the U.S. Congress. So um, this issue of the U.S.-China trade war is going to be with us for the foreseeable future as well, and it's going to have an impact. Exactly how it shapes the industry, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so that's one of the wild cards, uh, you know, you asked about wild cards, that's a wild card. Um, I've got some other thoughts on technology, but if you want to ask a follow-up, uh, go ahead.
0: No, there there's, there's so many um, developments you have to watch. It's political, geopolitical, like you just mentioned, it's technical, mm-hmm. it's economic, there's many uh, influencing factors. And sure. so I guess actually that gets to my final question for you, which is, What's the best way for our viewers to keep abreast of uh, all of these trends in the display industry?
1: Well, I think if there was one thing I would say, uh, you should subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Uh, in fact, the DSCC Weekly Review—we uh, you know it—we uh, publish it every Monday. Um, that's exactly our mission: is to have uh, to inform industry professionals uh, keep them up to date on all, all of the developments, whether they be technology breakthroughs or market breakthroughs or business baked, bake uh, breakthroughs, um, all of those topics. Um, it's not terribly expensive. Um, you know, you can inquire about it, but if it's too expensive for you, if it's free, I would say subscribe to our blog. We try to toss some of the notes into, uh, into, uh, our, our blog and, uh, and you can get that free. <laughs> so, um, you know, our company, we're trying to cover, uh, and I think we're starting to do it pretty well, uh, cover all of the main topics in the display industry. So that's very much our mission at the SEC.
0: So, what we'll do is we'll post the URL here for everybody to see, uh, and they'll know where to go. Uh, another thing I'd like to suggest is, uh, of course, they can uh, go to sid.org. And uh, the focus there is a little more on the technical developments, but there's also some uh, reporting on industry developments, typically on the home page. But, and of course, the attendees uh, at SID conference can learn a lot. And uh, typically DSCC is there speaking at the business conference. Um, Bob, I just wanna thank you for taking the time today to talk with us and to talk to our viewers. Um, You have such a great perspective on the industry. You've been in the industry for a long time. It's wonderful to have a chance to speak with you and to get all your perspectives. Thank you for taking this time with us today and uh, hope to see you in person before too long.
1: (laughs) Right, you're welcome, Brian. Thank you. Uh, This has been a great discussion and uh, indeed I hope to see you in person uh, before too long.
0: And that's it for now for the display show. Thanks everybody and see you again soon.